0: Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance. This is his fortnightly appearance in the program. He is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen Eric Longenhagen is the guest. And as he does every two weeks, Eric Longenhagen on this edition of the program endeavors to analyze all prospects. Of particular note this week, Boston's Michael Kopech, Oakland's Frankie Montas, and other pitchers, other pitchers who are prospects, who might be candidates to fill the sort of mid-middle-innings relief role that Andrew Miller has perfected during this postseason. I ask Langenagin to consider some traits that might translate well from those prospects to this relief role in the majors. Moving on, Atlanta prospect Travis DeMeritt has compelled Langenagin to consider the possibility of a plus-plus defender at second base and finally, Long and Hagen's organizational prospect lists are due out later this week. He discusses some of the defining qualities of those lists, including how and why and wherefore he uses future value.
1: So future value the attempts to try to pack everything into one number. And the, the reason that the 20 to 80 scale is used is because it can line up nice with wins above replacement. So it's basically – and I think this might oversimplify it a little bit, but it's almost like a mean – annual war projection for the player at maturity.
0: Sort of razor-sharp analysis, and more razor-sharp analysis just like it and what's to follow. What's not following right now is a message from the sponsor. If there were a sponsor's message, it would be SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, but there is not a sponsor's message, so we head directly to a conversation. What is it? It is Fangraph's audio. Who does the feature? Lead prospect analyst for Fangraph's Eric Longenhagen. and what does it begin right now? Sometimes it's hard to like people, mm-hmm. you know. It's hard to like people, maybe as a group. Individuals, it's usually a little bit easier, except for Hitler. <laughs> I think we can both agree, right? Yes. Yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good. I'm glad we've come to this conclusion. I catching. I'm catching you today. Right now, I think you are between games two and three for your day. I am. Right, and I already know. Technically, between.
1: Yeah, between games two and three of four, but three of them are baseball games and one is a soccer game.
0: Okay, this is that's your wife's soccer game.
1: Yeah, and now my soccer game as well.
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, perhaps we will reserve the end of our conversation okay. uh, for sort of... Uh, that good. For your, yeah. thank for you your for, reports.
1: Thank you for being accommodating and doing it at close to 8 o'clock your time.
0: No, no, no problem. No problem. I, it's fine with me. Now, I do know that this evening you will you will see Michael Kopeck. Yeah, here's I, I will I will tell you two things I know about Michael Kopeck. One is that uh, he threw a fastball at an ungodly speed. The precise figure I'm forgetting, uh, but I do know this this right-handed prospect for the Boston Red Sox threw uh, baseball at an ungodly speed earlier this season, and also uh, performing. Um, some uh, performing some statistical perambulations onto the uh, the numbers that have been produced in the very the rather young Arizona Fall League season. I see that Michael Kopech has acquitted himself better than uh, almost all of his um, all of his pitching counterparts. So this says this says to me um, these these two facts suggest to me that Michael Kopech is worth a damn
1: uh yeah i I agree with that
0: okay yeah. what um what now uh you created your schedule specifically to go see him, or is it here's the thing Is this uh useless for me to ask you about Michael Kopeck because he hasn't pitched yet?
1: I mean you're welcome to ask about him because uh you know obviously it's Michael Kopeck, so it's a guy that I know a little bit about, but i have I've never seen him uh I know what he did last week uh like was ninety six ninety nine only i i guess if that's the way you want to put it um with flashing like an average change up eighty six eighty nine although there are some scouts I know who have qualms about change up velocity in that range if it doesn't have a ton of movement because it's essentially a bp fastball at that point mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah like he throws hard and people are just trying to figure out if if it's a sustainable thing for a starting pitcher or if this is an Araldus Chapman type situation where it this is just he's either going to start and the velocity's not going to be quite uh what we see at peak right now over 6 7 innings 200 plus innings a year or just throw him in the bullpen let him top out at 103 and you know no one's going to be able to hit that consistently so it's just trying to figure out which one um, makes more sense
0: from where did he come? I don't know. Yeah, where that's a Michael that's Kopech? a fine answer. You're going to know more about this next time we talk. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just got enthusiastic about Michael Kopeck. This it's is fun. not fair what I'm doing to you right now, Eric, but I'm just saying that I was enthusiastic about it.
1: Well, he's from yeah. Texas, so Okay. I guess that says some
0: things. Yep. Nearly nailed <laughs> it
1: down. But I know what I mean me ask asking- you We're we're still shy of this kid's 21st birthday, right? And the body is, it's not six four one seventy or anything like that, but there's still some projection left too. So this might not be all there is in, in shorter stints. I would encourage our listeners though that anything you hear about Michael Kopech or any starter in uh, the fall league, especially early on here, the, a lot of these guys are going in one, two, maybe three inning stints and that's it. And so it's just one of those contextual things that you have to keep in mind when you're evaluating these guys. Because, like, for three innings at a time here, Carl Edwards Jr. would look fantastic. But if you stretched him out to five, six innings in a start in the middle of the year, you'd see 88, 89 late in his starts on his fastball. And it's just not, uh, it's not going to play. So, you know, it's just one of those things.
0: Interesting you mention, uh, Carl Edwards, not only because he's currently. Uh, pitching for one of the three teams uh, that remains in contention for a World Series title. But also because I believe there is, uh, well, I read it some source, but I, I cannot attribute it. I apologize. That uh, there are still plans uh, perhaps to allow him to start next year, which surprised me because it um, seems as though he's been pitching in relief for a couple years now, and I thought that that was going to be his role for the time being, and maybe until Mm -hmm. he retired.
1: It wouldn't surprise me if public discourse about that were uh, an effort to make it look as though the Cubs have a little bit more leverage in uh, negotiations for a starting pitcher this offseason via trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're going to make a deal for a starter, regardless of what happens this year. But, you know, I, I'd understand the impulse to keep trying, running a guy with this kind of arm out there, try to extract what you can from him. Especially if we're, if league-wide, we start moving toward, I think, do you get the vibe, the vibe that strategically, baseball's changing at a very rapid pace now? Or do you think that the Andrew Miller thing and, uh, the power spike we saw from this year are, are blips? rather than the start of, of trend, something more concrete that's going to be pervasive throughout the entire league?
0: Well, with regard to the power, allow me, a moron, to hold <laughs> forth. Um, I would say that, uh, it, you know, to some degree, it uh, is a product of, um, like, uh, active m- mechanical changes by players. And... Um, so I don't think that it was necessarily and and perhaps a, a live ball. Um, mm. So there are a couple of factors. I think that they would need to be addressed externally, right? Uh, now you can't you can't demand that players stop uh, attempting to hit home runs. So I would imagine that the ball, perhaps, because uh, I think the ball remains within the acceptable range of uh, of uh, bounciness. I feel terrible saying that word. No, it's there must okay. be, No, there must be some word that means Probably. bounciness. Anyway, <coughs> anyway, the point is that um, I think that that uh, that it would have to be addressed. Maybe the range, the the upper the upper menu. Because, uh, but but also, uh, so far as strikeouts are concerned, of course we're at an all time high there. I do not necessarily think, in Carl, um, well, not Carl Edwards at all. Craig Craig Edwards, <laughs> who writes for Fangraphs. Uh, wrote, wrote today for the site, we we're talking on Friday, wrote today for the site that uh, with regard to the postseason and wrote yesterday with uh, regard to the, the league in general that the bullpen revolution, um, uh, despite what's happened this this postseason, it, the bullpen revolution is not necessarily imminent. Uh, Dave Cameron mentioned recently on the program that it's necessary. it's necessary during the regular season for... Mm-hmm. What's not necessarily? It benefits both co- both managers and players and the teams as a whole to have roles because that uh, if, if for no other reason um, you know, beyond the sort of uh, psychological factors, it allows it allows uh, the workloads for these players to be managed, mm-hmm. um, you know, predictably somewhat, right? I think, like, if you prorated Andrew Miller's usage uh, during the, the season so far, he'd pitch like 260 innings or something. Uh, that seems unlikely to continue. Yeah, uh, but it is an interesting. Uh, it, it is interesting, I suppose, right? Because you might have situations where, and let's take Michael Kopeck for example. Yeah, because we've been talking. Absolutely. Yeah, where you say, "What an exciting arm!" Mm-hmm. One that, you know, if he develops into what you'd consider the the probable range for skill, and he doesn't have a sort of uh, cliff like attrition because of injury. You can imagine a player who is throwing with a great deal of velocity, uh, features s- sufficient secondary stuff, whether it's just one or two pitches, uh, to you know to get the sort of strikeouts that that arm speed you know, you typically expect from it. But you don't necessarily think that uh, it's sufficient for what you consider a starter's workload. Uh, yes, that would be the exact sort of player who would. You you think would adapt very nicely to a version of the Andrew Miller role? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't, do, can you think of any Can you think of any specific players or the type of player for you that would make sense if there were going to be a legitimate bullpen revolution?
1: Well, the guys who that's why I was about to say Kopech too, but it's just the guys who have trouble throwing enough strikes to get through five six innings at a time but still have such tantalizing stuff, especially if their repertoires are deep as well, that you feel bad wasting them an inning at a time. So like Frankie Montas fits into that vein. Uh, mm-hmm. I think based on what I've seen from Francis Martes here in the AFL, he's he's a candidate for, for that sort of role. Maybe guys like Andrew Miller hey, who... Hey,
0: Eric, Eric, yeah. Eric. Huh. Huh. Can I ask you, when you say a player's name, can I ask you, when you say a player's name, also to give mm. his team name? Because, you know, um, oh, okay. not yeah. all of us, not all of us are as familiar with these players as you. Not all of us are. Okay. So, like, what is it, Dodgers right-hander, Frankie Montas?
1: No, it's at, it's the athletics now. <clears throat> he was in that, the yes. cotton deal.
0: Oh, yes, he was in the cotton deal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. And it's then it. Francela, Francela's, no,
1: Fran, I, I've just been calling him Fran Martes yeah. from Houston. Mm-hmm. From Houston.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And who else did I say?
0: I think you just said those two. You said Montas and Fran Martes. Yeah. Fran Martes from Houston. Fran Martes, also uh, the most likely candidate uh, to, or one of the most likely candidates to star in an ML or a, a baseball player only cast and a revival of Facts of Life <laughs> <laughs> Fran was a character. Did you ever sure. see Facts uh-huh. of Life? I've okay, seen Fran was a character. I know character. I'm
1: aware of the theme song for Facts of Life.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No. Uh yeah, but I don't think I've ever seen an episode of it.
0: Have you seen uh you mentioned both Montas and Martes? Have you seen either of them? Uh, I've seen recently? both of them. Yeah, I've seen you both have? of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell to tell me a little bit about Montas. I, I, from what I know about his history, uh, we could call my me a, um, I'll be a prospecting layman, right? Someone who's familiar with uh, prospect lists and and uh, commentary, but is not necessarily an expert. Uh, a strong arm. Originally, originally came up through the White Sox system. I bet. Mm-hmm. Does that sound reasonable.
1: That sounds correct.
0: Yeah, it sounds correct. Okay, and then uh, somehow ended up. Somehow ended up with another team that <laughs> was the Dodgers. I'm guessing uh, that I was don't like know. Uh,
1: was it the Trace
0: Thompson deal? Trace yeah, Thompson was right. supposed to
1: be the Dodgers.
0: <laughs> yeah, and maybe Micah Micah Johnson. Micah did Johnson. Micah Johnson come, yeah. Did he come over in that trade? Who the hell went to the White Sox in that trade? It would have to be someone of note, I would assume.
1: Was that? Um, who oh, Wasn't Wendelkin in that deal too, or was that in?
0: Good.
1: Well he came it was the it was the Reddick deal it was the Reddick deal this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. And it was a I want to say for Chill. Reddick deal. Uh huh. Yeah. And it wasn't like a three team a three team trade the last time? Oh yeah. The Dodgers acquire Frankie Montas, Chase Thompson, Micah Johnson. Uh huh. It was a three team trade. <laughs> and you know who else was definitely involved? Who? Uh the Reds. They got Jose oh, Barraza, yeah, and Scott Shebler. yeah, and and Dixon. Okay, and Dixon, there we go. And fit. also, of course, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, Todd Frazier was the headliner. There you go. <laughs> he went from Cincinnati to Chicago. That was painful. That was painful. Uh, well, this, but-
1: is, this is this is the phrase I like to use for this. Moments like this is that we are standing too close to the painting. To sort of see okay. everything, like you know, you know that scene in Ferris Bueller where that uh, with that pointillism painting, where that weird... yeah
0: right, who is that? Uh, who does the pointillism?
1: I don't know, I forget. If I'm big... just, it's a good thing, Jillian's not here because she would be pissed. We've seen that. We've seen that painting.
0: Maybe Surratt? George Surratt? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll pretend it's George Surratt. for the. Was but it, yeah. Was that it scene in Ferris Bueller Fleming. where so I mean it, Fleming. I, Alexander Fleming.
1: You're trying to do the thing that you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about Frankie Montas. And his so, so we're standing too close Easter. to Frankie
0: Montas, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, you can be. Yeah. But um, yeah.
0: all right. Okay. But back to these these guys.
1: Montas has been up to 102 out here, and I you know he's he's had his injury issues and he's had his strike throwing issues in the past. But we've also seen plus slider above-average changeup from him I've seen in the past. I think in his previous fall league tenure, during which uh, previous uh, led prospect analyst Kylie McDaniel was out here, we saw Frankie Montas together and held hands and watched him throw an above-average changeup. So, like, it's all in there. It's mid-rotation starter stuff. It's just not – he doesn't stay healthy, and uh, he's not efficient. So a guy like that for two, Mm. three innings at a time, three times a week – is intriguing to me. And you know, I think it's important to sort of hedge and say, Andrew Miller has an 80 slider. <laughs> like, we're not just talking about random guy who has 40 control. Like, that's an 80 slider.
0: Great so, conversation he had with uh, David Lorla uh, discussing his slider. He said he's basically had it since he started yeah. uh, pitching. It's just been there the whole time. It works with his arm slot uh, for some reason. Mm-hmm. And he's just had it the whole time. He's... He's changed other pitches. Uh, he's you know he's worked on his mechanics maybe a little bit uh, to, um, to tighten up his command, but basically the slider has been identical to the one he threw when he was 14.
1: And this is why I'm confused about hearing this C.J. Edwards news that they're considering stretching him out next year because I think once you – teams tried that with Andrew Miller several times and it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. And I just think once you have something like this, or anything of big league value that you just, you need to cash it in. I I really do. Can you think of a guy who kicked back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation who worked out eventually as a rotation piece? Because I don't think I can. Oh, yeah, I'm boy. thinking well, about I'm, Jabba I'm, and Daniel Bard and Jonathan Pappelbon and all these guys, but I can't think of of anybody who went the other way.
0: I'm sure there's. there's Tony Sangrani. No, yeah, uh, that guy's a
1: reliever. Yeah, Lorenzo's yeah. a reliever uh, M- too. M- Manny, I mean, we could go through the Manny entire
0: Manny Parra,
1: and they're all relievers. what's that? And so we could go through the whole Reds farm system and like all those guys are relievers. Right. I think Raycell is Someone
0: who reliever. someone who arrived as a reliever. Uh, well, I mean, Dylan Bundy pitched a bunch in relief this year, and uh, had some success, and then moved to the yeah. rotation later in the year. Yeah. That's maybe an example. I, I mean still like Chris hold on, came hold.
1: up and was in the bullpen initially, right? So that was a thing. But Yeah, right. That was more of an innings limit thing than a, a developmental.
0: And then, of course, uh, Jose Quintana. No, that's not who I'm thinking of at all, although maybe Quintana did pitch relief at some point. I'm thinking of another left-hander earlier, uh, which is Ho- Johan Santana. Um, Johan Santana pitch relief. Um for part of his career, I believe, because he was a Rule 5 we'll pickup. That, and yeah. and it's, also, it's also possible that uh, Francisco Liriano, uh, also a member of the Twins, in an order uh, was used in an, a relief capacity uh, in order to protect his arm a little bit because he, he had experienced difficulties. Uh, well, let's pretend that's the case. Okay. Uh, maybe not for any <laughs> length of time. Uh, but, um, yeah, it looks like uh, a brief examination of his player page shows that when he was pitching for the team in 2006, which was his second real it was it was the second year of major league uh, innings, but it was his first real season He split time almost uh, identically between the, the rotation and, and the bullpen um, i mean there is this is what that's the uh, the Earl Weaver school of pitcher development right right where you allow a guy to come up. You use him in the long relief role so that he is at the major league level. He's facing major league batters, mm-hmm. but he does not have the weight of the leverage um, you know, on his shoulders. So he's able to fail in a somewhat more mm-hmm. uh, uh, comfortable fashion. Because- and you're
1: able to sort of a la carte his usage in spots where it's appropriate for him to work on things he needs to work on to be… Big league starter at the big league right. level, but not it's like in uh,
0: blowouts like of of uh, various.
1: Yeah. Go through your changeup three times in a row. We're down by seven. Go ahead and do that, please. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so so maybe there's, but of course, um, um, uh, Neftali Feliz is another example. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I mean, he ended up having some troubles, but mm-hmm. right, a tantalizing arm, uh, and so you say, oh yeah, uh, man, if this could work in. Because when, when I remember when Neftali Feliz, uh, when he debuted, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, with your with your experience and expertise, uh, you were already well aware of him, but I remember watching him, at least uh, when he was making his debut as a major leaguer, and he was uh, throwing with a great deal of velocity, and it did not appear to require any effort nope. for him whatsoever. Um, yeah, there he, are very few
1: guys. Record. I wonder how many... Josh Stalmont with the Royals is a similar case. The body's not as ideal as Neftali's was but that's another guy mm-hmm. who's you know I've seen up to 101 and it looks like he's he's yawning in the middle of pitches because
0: like, <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah well the list of guys because I think did, Kopech, did uh, am I incorrect when I say that he hit 106? I, I think that's I don't.
1: I'm not even sure if that's physically possible. From uh, like just off of a mound, I think the report was one hundred and four. Okay, maybe one hundred and five. Um, okay, it's it wasn't a thing I checked on. You know, I don't on. like
0: the way you belittle me. No no, 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 no. I don't like the way you belittle oh, me. I don't no, you, you you take my opinions and you you stomp on them. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> hurts. <laughs> I didn't. Um. I didn't check
1: on. When, uh, was it, I think it was BA that reported that fast is fast. Like, it's an 80 grade fastball. Anything over 102, I'm like, okay, I don't care. Like, I think there are diminishing returns at some point. Uh, unless you can throw the baseball at the speed of light, I think 103 and 104 are basically the same thing. So I don't doubt that he throws incredibly hard, and that's all I care
0: about. Uh, now I've, uh, th- a lot of this conversation is coming out of um, my question to you my un- um, my unfair question to you regarding Michael Kopeck right-hander for Boston I'd like to ask you about a player that I know you've seen okay. uh, perhaps have seen twice is a former UCLA right-hander oh yeah uh, current Yankees right-handed prospect James Caprillian I believe I'm saying correctly James Caprillian mm-hmm. yes a uh a nice um uh, a nice name from the from the from, I, what is that country called with the A? It's not. He's not Amish. He's not Amish. No. <laughs> it's the one. It's one of the ones over there. I have. There's a lot of them in Waltham, Mass. Of uh, people from this particular country. Anyway, um, James Caprillion was. Well, so he's an interesting case, right? Because mm. uh, he was. Uh, he was pretty good at UCLA. I think he was a Friday starter, meaning he was the UCLA's top starter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Armenia is the country, by the way. Oh, okay. I've just it's just occurred to me, Armenia, Armenia. I would assume James Caprillion is of Armenian blood, which is great. Great. Anyway, I love the Armenians. Sorry, I know that's exactly what I Anyway, uh. <clears throat> Bigley, the Caprillion uh, – and then he had some injury, right? Is that right? Yeah, it was a flexor tendon strain. Okay,
1: and he missed all, but I think he had like something like a dozen starts this year, and then missed the rest of the year with okay. a flexor
0: tendon and, strain. And now you've seen Caprillion uh, I think, a couple times now, right? Yeah, yeah. I saw him
1: I saw him in college, and then I saw him his first start of fall league. And then I saw his second start of fall league earlier this week.
0: So, what was he? What was he as a pitcher in college? That just because this interests me. Uh, this interests me when you see a guy at college, especially a guy with success um, or or physical promise, uh, and then to see what that becomes. Because, of course, scouts and organizations are making decisions based off of not only what a guy. Uh, The guy's profile, his college profile, but also what they assume that that will become when he's a professional. So what was Cabrillion in college? Uh,
1: It it wasn't as hard as he was throwing as a pro. Uh, I want to say I had him a lot of 92, 94 and was very slider heavy in college. Even though when he would throw his changeup, it was, in my opinion, uh, his superior secondary offering. Uh It's kind of a weird slider still, and it was in college too. It's shorter, it's harder, and it's it's hard if you're not really down level with the plate. It's hard to see its depth. It's not like a really obvious, uh like Brad Lidge type of slider with crazy vertical movement or anything like that. Um, and it was interesting because when Garrett Cole was at UCLA, similarly his changeup, in my opinion, was superior to the slider, but he was also slider-heavy at uh, UCLA. So I don't know if that's a college philosophical thing, but it is of note and interesting to me. And then uh, his first start, and, and it was this way throughout his pro debut as well for caprelian he was like 94-97 the whole start. Uh, he came out and was was pumping like 95-96 his first few pitches, and then he'd, he'd ramp it up and touch 97 here and there. And I was surprised. It's anecdotal, but guys who have a weird velocity spikes without any real reason for it, uh, you know, no reported change in training regimen or anything, you know, guys who don't have any physical projection because Capellian really didn't coming out of UCLA. It's not one of those late blooming physical types. Uh, which just, you know, I think those guys sometimes you see, oh, this guy's throwing 98 now and then a few weeks later, he, he's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I did expect Capellian to be back down like 92-94 here in the fall League. I thought that this was going to be one of those cases. And then his first start, he was not. And he looked very good. Four pitches, low 80s curveball, along with the changeup and the slider that I mentioned before. The changeup and slider play beautifully off each other. It is really sort of bizarre. They come in, and like three quarters of the way to the plate, they all look the same and then they just dart in different directions. The fastball stays uh mostly straight. The changeup uh dives down to Capellion's arm side and the slider really acts more more like a cutter but moves enough to miss bats, like get underneath uh the barrel of of left-handed hitters. It is pr- it's pretty cool. Uh, and I'm I've been doing this long enough now that I can usually pick up pitch types pretty early out of pitcher's hands. It's easier to do from the scouting section than the batter's box, I think. Uh, but it's always hard with him, uh, mm-hmm. because they, they, are, they do look very similar through, uh, through most of their flight. And then in his second start, he was mostly 92-93. I still saw some 96s, uh, but there were a lot more low 90s fastballs than anything else. And I still have. Yeah, the secondaries I I graded out just about the same. We saw more curveballs in his second start than uh, in the first one. But in the 81 to 84 mile an hour range, at least I think they're, you know, again, I think they're curveballs unless the slider velocity is also down. But that doesn't really make uh, a whole lot of sense.
0: What sort of shape, what sort of shape on the curveball?
1: It's a little more, there's a little more depth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second start the other night was at Mesa and I was up, uh, a little higher. Again, like I said, it's, it is beneficial to see this specific guy more than others, like down more level with, more level with the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't think I'm concerned because this is sort of what I was expecting anyway, but like I'm gonna go see his next start and see where it's at because it is, you know, this is a guy who come who's coming off an elbow injury and made his first start back from that, and uh, I don't think it's prudent to look at that initial start and draw any uh, concrete conclusions. But he's you know he's gonna be a fascinating guy to watch throughout all the fall league because if he's ninety four ninety seven the whole time, with what are in my opinion future plus slider uh, changeup, especially maybe not on raw movement, but just the way they play off each other, I think that's how they'll play. And that's we're talking about a, like a. a a top of the rotation guy and I don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast uh, or in writing because I'm pretty stingy about that you know the w- number one slash two type of starter the guy who's worth you know four or five wins above replacement annually
0: mm-hmm. they just don't well you probably haven't any- said it at all on this uh, program because unbeknownst to you what I do is I edit out your voice for Okay, <laughs> that's good it's just a one-sided conversation
1: it's just you talking yeah. to a cloud. That's okay.
0: Yeah, well, just you, know, just just my my uh, half of the conversation, like a kind of like you go to like a like a college play, and it, it has been written by a student of the school, yeah. and it's just a one sided conversation. And you're like, oh, he's sad. <laughs> you know. Yes, yeah, no, I do. What you get. Or it's kind of like Garfield without Garfield, just John talking to nothing. Uh well that's a that is a uh that's an optimistic uh assessment you've given then of James Caprillion. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion in <laughs> conclusion that's that's what I can say about it. Uh uh and I don't know uh it seems to me uh perhaps some, something more than one might have anticipated. I'm curious you said that that he has exhibited typically more velocity as a professional than he ever did as a college prospect.
1: He was probably up to ninety six
0: in college at some point,
1: but um, okay. But yeah, like not sitting ninety four plus, certainly not.
0: So, I mean, if you were, how, how often does that happen? If you were to divide college draftees into three categories, those who a uh, exhibited higher average fastball velocity as pros. Mm. Uh, Roughly the same or lower. How would you bucket them? Just again, this is anecdotal. This is fine. That's fine, though.
1: Um, that was the sound of me kissing my wife, by the way. And that's the sound okay, of her. fair sure enough, that's the sound of her pointing to a bag. See, of Brussels wait, wait, wait let
0: me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Can I guess?
1: Yeah. She's got a bag of tostitos. No. No. they're Brussels sprouts, not tostitos.
0: Hmm.
1: Do you want to say hi to Carson? Is this, is this allowed? Or is that too unprofessional? I, I guess. Okay. So you can yell it if you want.
0: Hi, Carson. There. Hi, Jill. Yeah. said hi. But
1: yeah. She can't hear you because yeah. I have head headphones. Um, headphones so I think, um, I think mostly it's probably the same. I'd probably say 50% are the same. Maybe a quarter of them end up throwing harder. Uh, some of that might be because their role changes. They're, they get tossed into a bullpen and uh, in shorter stints are allowed to throw. Max effort, uh, and they're throwing harder in pros than they do in college, and then probably quarter of them throw less hard because they're uh, they get hurt or the workload in pro ball is more than it was in college, and that suppresses velocity. Uh, I'm sure that there are people that have done actual studies on this, but just like ballparking, you know, I think probably, I think probably 50% probably stay the same, and 25% on either end.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, I assume uh, I would I would guess that uh, this is sort of being conducted in front offices where you're able to take advantage of uh, reports that have been filed mm-hmm. from the amateur scouts, and then of course compare it, if nothing else, to the prospects. I mean, as a club, the prospects that you have uh, that you have drafted, if not the the prospects that have been drafted by other clubs. Hmm. Hey, Eric. Mm-hmm. Eric? I'm here. Oh, I think you went away for a second.
1: Uh, I hit the mute button while Jillian was using aluminum foil.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: We were making hats. <laughs> no, she's making those Brussels sprouts. Oh, is she going to... Um, she's roasting them. That's going to be so good. It is going to be great.
0: Yeah.
1: Did you have a what question? Was the, what was the...
0: I don't think you had a question no, you were just talking about uh just a razor sharp point, mhm, yeah, I mean I was also wondering where you where you'd gone at the time right, here's what you, here's what you're gonna say, okay, okay, you're gonna say an excellent point, Carson,
1: okay, tell me when to tell me what
0: yeah go, go, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Whatever doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hey, let me ask you a thing. We, as I as we uh, discussed briefly yeah. thirty minutes ago, you've already seen uh, two games today. Yeah. Uh, would you? Well, let's start in game number one. Uh, bring us bring us to it. Paint a paint a portrait with your words. Okay. Uh,
1: so today was the last day of fall instructional league, which is a very very sad day for those of us who enjoy that. Uh. If you don't like crowds or baseball that's played with any sort of polish or pace or energy, then Fall Instructional League is for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the Giants in athletics. They're the last two teams doing anything. Uh, and uh, saw Melvin Adon for the Giants, who's a, a young right-handed pitcher who I've seen up to 100 in the past. He was up to 99 today but was just horrendously wild. He walked four guys over two innings and hit a another guy. Uh but it was just, you know, an opportunity to go in and check in on a guy who as our the Giants prospect list is you know in the middle of production right now, someone who I think is probably going to be in the top 10 or so just based on upside. Okay. So so wanted to see that, uh I got one more look at Lazarito this morning before he heads back to the Dominican for the off season as well as the other host of interesting Latin American signees that the athletics have including George Bell uh junior who is drawing some interest from an agent that was there and uh Marcos Brito and Yerdel Vargas
0: these are all just names to me they're just names you 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 are essentially right now you're a you're a latin name generator i'm just spitting them out yeah yeah it's like like you could work for uh, Hardball Dynasty, mm-hmm. the uh, the online software, and uh-huh. I wouldn't know any of. You know, what, what's uh, uh, I'm going to pick one that I remember? Marcos Brito. Sure. Is he a person?
1: He is a person. Yeah, a stocky little second okay. baseman with advanced bat to ball. Not a whole lot of power projection. Probably second base only. Uh, the bat will probably have to mature to to plus. For him to profile as an everyday player, but it might get there. It, he, it's uh, it's pretty impressive.
0: Okay. Hey, speaking of a, of a second baseman, you um, um, allow me to uh, hold your uh, grab your hand and, and lead you along on a tangent, mm-hmm. Eric. Okay. You, you wrote today briefly, I think, specifically with regard to Atlanta second baseman Travis DeMerritt. Yeah. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. You uh, you asked a question uh, to yourself. Um, is it possible, is, it, is there really such a thing as a, uh, what, a plus-plus a defensive second baseman?
1: Yeah, uh, he's been impressive here. And I noted in, in the piece, which you can read on Instagraphs, that he, there's, he's got some arm accuracy, accuracy issues, and uh, his hands have been a little rough at times, but just his... Range and athleticism is so far beyond anything I I think I've seen from a second baseman, at least in the minor leagues, that I've considered if the whole hands and, and arm accuracy things are polished up, is this a seven defender at second base? And is that a thing? Because if someone is a seven defender at second base, couldn't they play a passable shortstop? arguably, even if the arm is short, you know, for the position, can you stick them there? Um, And I thought about it for a little while and kind of decided that, yeah, you can have a 70 or 80 defender at second base. We've seen them. It just takes the right sort of weird combination of physical skills. Uh, And with Demerit specifically, it's it's not quite as extreme as someone like Chase Utley, who I think pretty clearly has like a 40 arm. But played tremendous defensive second base for years and years and years. It is more of the Brandon Phillips variety where, uh, there's, uh, it's just that specific sort of arm strength. I think second base requires a unique type of arm action. You have to, to throw from a whole lot of different platforms. You're doing more all over the field as far as being timely to different parts of the field than any other position. You have to cover first base on bunts. You have to – obviously, you're the cutoff man for, for balls to right field. Uh, you're, you're moving into the outfield on shifts very frequently now. You have to do things around the second base bag on steals and double plays. Like There's just a whole lot that goes into play in second base that is unique to that position uh and so it just i think there's just a weird concoction of skills you can have to be good at all that but still not be able to play shortstop and i think that uh demerit has a chance to have that weird cocktail of abilities
0: let me let me tell you just from looking uh looking over um travis demerit's record mm-hmm. uh, statistical record as a, as a minor leaguer i see well first of all i hear what you're telling me about a sort of um, ecstatic defensive ability um, I also see that there is uh, there's quite a uh, quite some problems with making contact mm-hmm. uh, he seems to have generally recorded strikeout rates in the you know in this you know right around a third of the time he's yeah. striking out um, but I also see pretty decent power certainly this year while playing for um, uh Texas's Texas high a affiliate. Um, he, he recorded impressive numbers. I, I'm guessing that's, I forget specifically if that's a Cal, is that a Cal league affiliate for Texas? Um, uh,
1: re- yeah, it's a uh, high desert Cal high league. desert. Right.
0: Yeah. Um, Which is, but he rest in did, peace he high did desert. in, in, in um, uh, a smaller sample with Atlanta's, uh, high A affiliate. He also recorded impressive, uh, you know, uh, an isolated power figure above two hundred. Mm-hmm. So that's also pretty good. Oh, yeah. I'm curious, given the, this profile, um, uh, how how different is Demerit as a player, uh, in your opinion, from Javier Baez, who possesses, again, from what I'm regarding from the, the statistical record, uh, a very similar a similar skill set. Baez,
1: the the volume on all the tools has turned way, 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 way up. Um, Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, The bat speed, the athleticism, the general baseball feel uh, with Baez, actions were just uh, were more – I don't want to say polished because they weren't always polished, but just – I was was always more confident in Baez figuring things out than I am with demerit. He was twitchier, I guess, is the way to is the way to put it.
0: Well, he might be the twitchiest, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, especially, uh, in of course, during the regular season, there's uh, there's typically fifteen games on at any night. Yeah. Uh, so, you, to, you know, to tune into a game, and then of course, uh, you know, even if you do choose a Cubs game, it's possible that bias is not in the lineup mm. uh, because, um, you know, that club used a lot of different players this year. Um, but during the playoffs it's been uh, it's been easier to see him on display and of course he's been fantastic and he contributes value in frequently in unusual and unexpected ways Mm -hmm. he has made more contact it seems during the postseason but but more than that he you know he uh is able to create runs um in a way that is uh, quantifiable but also um you know Unusual, I guess, in ways you wouldn't expect. Like, for example, by tagging people very well. That's not. That's not a, it's not a right. skill. Yeah, That's weird. I'm guessing you are typically like, oh yeah, this is a great, a great tagger. Um, I mean, yeah,
1: if you like Labor Torres today, made like I made note of his tagging today was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it has to be really either really good or really bad. Either way, I'm not like, yeah, this guy's a 55 tag tagger. <laughs> I don't do <laughs> anything like that. Um, but if it is, you know, like Baez is, it's, it jumps up, you know, off the field at you. Um, yeah, like with with Javi Baez, it was that was a guy who was like the top prospect in baseball at one point because he was no doubt going to play shortstop uh, or at least be viable there. I just don't think he's as good as Asen Russell. Um, but uh, you know, obviously the strikeouts were were ridiculous, and then when he he was rehabbing down here in the AZL last year. 2015, ahead of the trade deadline, when he was, I bl- I'm pretty sure he was on the table uh, for a, what would have been a blockbuster that, uh, yeah, I think he was.
0: So It just never happened. Yeah, yeah it
1: just didn't happen. But uh, but yeah, he he was down here rehabbing, and like teams were checking in on him. The, he was clearly trying to make an effort to tone down the approach uh, and the swing and miss, specifically with his footwork either not striding at all or getting his front foot down early and just looked uncomfortable doing that. And I think some of the scouts that were down here to see him see, check in on things ahead of the deadline were not impressed that, that he still looked erratic at the plate, uh, even against AZL pitching and that they were just, it was sort of a wait and see mode uh, as it had been, you know, for a year and a half leading up to that because there were so many strikeouts. With Demerit, there's just no – he's just not going to play shortstop for me. Um, hmm. I think if you're looking for a comp, uh, statistically anyway, I think you know Dan Ugla was the first one that jumped to mind except with better defense. Oh, OK. Uh, better defense, OK. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but Ugla – Ugla probably more power, Demerit better defense, which I guess invalidates the comp. But it is just sort of that type of offensive profile for a second baseman. Yeah, where there's big power and a ton of strikeouts.
0: <clears throat> it's interesting about Javier Baez uh, showing a slightly different version of himself. He, I mean, as I as I mentioned, he is uh, making more contact during mm-hmm. the postseason. Small sample, but uh, of course strikeouts tend to um, become strikeout rate tends to to become a little bit more meaningful in smaller samples. Um, but yeah, he is just uh, he is just such an electric athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, did, was there any sense when he was a prospect? For me the signature play of his postseason has been the soft line drive that he elected not to catch in the air uh instead fielded and then turned with Addison Russell a rather unusual double play. Was there any sense that that he also had this kind of in addition to the physical motor that he might have a sort of uh intellectual motor uh, or you know at least a, a in ba- You know, so far as baseball IQ is concerned. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, actually when he was in the – when Baez went down to Winter League to play some outfield and uh, start to flex his utility, super utility muscles off of shortstop, uh, I asked somebody how he was looking down there and they just said, how do you th- – you know, give me an athlete like this with this sort of baseball IQ and I don't he, – he's going to play anywhere. I don't need to see – I don't need to see him. So yeah, at this point, I wasn't uh, – as a prospect prior to that, was not all that aware of that sort of thing. That was the first that anyone mentioned to me uh, that that was also in his uh, his utility belt.
0: Yeah. Well, he just has the – he just gives the sense of being entirely engaged in, in the, the play. You know what I mean? Know. yeah. And who, so it was. And Wilson, I know that are, Contreras has
1: gotten like that too, and that he wasn't always uh, that light okay, switch yeah. turned on for Contreras in 2015 as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's just and, kids and, 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 up and, and, and
0: hmm. yeah. Well, I know there. I mean, there are players who who do have um, sort of uh, who do play with less energy. Uh, and can still be entirely like, competent. Like I think of, for example, maybe a poster boy for this is was uh, J.D. Drew, right? Uh, J.D. Drew appeared <laughs> not to particularly care about the game most of the time. His playing. and I think he said as much uh, otherwise. And I think that it did not gain him many fans, right? Um, but at the same time, he contributed. Uh, you know, he was a net asset for most of the clubs for sure. which he played.
1: J.D. Drew, Bobby Abreu, Robinson Cano. Uh, Torres is, is going to become, I think, a guy like that, although he hasn't been very good defensively at second base. Uh, right. But, um, but yeah, I think there's a, yeah, and I think that the stigma against guys like that, uh, probably comes from a certain type of person, just like stigma against players like Madison Bumgarner
0: mm-hmm. come from a different type of person. How are you characterizing Bumgarner in this case?
1: Uh, intense and mm-hmm. outwardly emotive and hyper competitive. Mm-hmm. I think there are mm-hmm. people who like the smiling, happy, I'm playing baseball, yay! Uh, and I like those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. but I also like the guys who scream at themselves and into their glove when they screw up. <laughs> I like all, you know, I just like, I like all the, all the, all the guys. <laughs> you like
0: baseball? You're yeah. A big, you're a big, baseball a, a, a big
1: baseball guy? I'm a baseball guy. Yeah, I just – it's just weird to me that – and Dwight Howard went through this in in the NBA. Um, There are certain types of people who defend the smiling, I'm playing a game, Brett Favre types, and there are people who defend the Tom Brady stoic, uh, screamer type, you know, intense guys and just let people do what they want. Like who cares? Either way. Either way, who cares?
0: I mean, at a certain level, right? It's hard to. You assume not only like you're you're not just asking a guy to change his demeanor in the present, but this is that's the sort of. I mean, that's hardwired in his DNA and whatever his <clears throat> uh, his approaches to the game. If he has succeeded to this point, um, then then that's probably going sure. to be the best case scenario. Yeah,
1: and I think it's fine to nurture those. Uh those emotions as well if it makes the player better
0: right yeah but uh, yeah again Tobias really uh, really been impressive i want to oh, yeah. ask you um uh, before you fulfill your obligation entirely i want to ask you about the post you wrote earlier this week um mm-hmm. uh, uh, titled uh, "Valuable prospects the pros and cons of a single number which concerned uh, it, i mean it's a bit of a primer yeah, to the yeah. Uh, organization. list that you'll be producing? Mm-hmm.
1: It's a thing that I, I will probably stick a link to at this at the top of every post,
0: right? And it and it uh, deals with um, your choice, I, I guess, to use future value as a number, right? right. Um, using the twenty eighty scouting scale, and mm-hmm. then using you know that range to place a future value on a player, noting simultaneously that it is a combination not only of um, I guess, what, a, a likely outcome for the player, but also accounting for risk so that players who right. are playing at a lower level are more likely to receive, um, you know, all things being equal, they're going to receive a lower figure than a guy who's exhibiting the same skill set at AAA. Right. Now, will you please tell me um, the alternatives to the to the future value grading? Mm-hmm. W- what else is used, whether in baseball or, or you know, by, um, by uh, industry outlets?
1: Uh, I think most frequently you'll see a ceiling, a, reali- a realistic ceiling applied with the 2080 scale and uh, a realistic roll. So, uh, let's take Michael Kopech. Michael Kopek's ceiling is, let's say, a 70 because the fastball is ridiculous and uh, he's got some idea of what to do with his secondary stuff and this and that, and he might be a number two starter if everything comes together. He has that sort of arm strength that you can't teach, uh, so his ceiling is a 70. Realistically, because of the command and because maybe a secondary pitch is raw and uh, would need to develop as well, and it looks like there's a chance for a below average command and only two consistently viable major league pitches – then his realistic role is maybe a reliever, but a high leverage one, a, a no-doubt closer who comes in and just blows people away, which is like a, a 50. So uh, that's how a lot of teams do it, where they put a, a number on the ceiling and put a number on a realistic role. Uh, you'll see Baseball Prospectus has done that for some time. I know that that sort of situation is in flux. I don't know what they're going to do anymore. Baseball America puts a number on the player's ceiling and then uses an adjective to describe risk. So uh, a high schooler who was just drafted who might be an above-average regular is a 55 extreme to describe the risk, or a 55 high. Whereas the uh, strike-throwing pitchability lefty at AAA, who sits 90-92 with an average curveball changeup and slider is a 45 safe or a 45 low or something like that, that that you know expresses how close to the majors they are and how close they are at actualizing their tools. Future Value attempts to uh, compare apples to oranges in this way, I think, uh, and I think it, it succeeds at it, although it is flawed, and we'll talk about that in a second as well. By sort of combining all of those Aspects into one number, and that number just happens to use the 20 to 80 scale. Uh, I've had scouts talk to me about their issues with that specific aspect of future value, that it does use the 20 to 80 scale, as opposed to just like an A plus, or, uh, you know, five stopwatches, or whatever the hell you want to use. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, uh, but the whole idea behind using the 20 to 80 scale f- on future value, uh, and I'll give you an example of how I've done this for the Dimebacks list, which I think is now going to run on Monday. Is that right? Do you?
0: That seems reasonable. Okay. Yeah, that so seems likely. It's been done, but like yeah. we're just trying
1: to figure out how to make it look nice and sexy and not screw up the site. It's definitely um, going to be sexy. It, the, I, have you gone in and looked at it? I I do. I like it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah I, do. I do. I do like it. Yeah, me too.
1: Did you put your guy in there? Oh, I, I don't want to digress yet. I don't, I'm excited about it, but I don't want to uh, digress. So,
0: what was I talking about again? Well, do am I allowed to pick? Yeah. Well, I'll join you on your digression. I'm allowed to pick anyone who's
1: what? Below what do a 40? you think? Below a forty. Anyone below a forty? I think you should. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so thirty-five. Or, yeah, so I'm going to. I mean, you can pick whoever you want. You know,
1: if you think if you think Anthony Banda is a sixty. Instead of the fifty I have on them, you're welcome to.
0: So, do you think is what I would consider like the greatest departure from your assessment?
1: Sure, if you want to do it, however you want to do it. Yeah, you're, you're
0: I, I trust you, Carson. You're going deep is is deep. You're I know, real deep. Yeah. You think you're going to go this deep for everybody? Uh, it depends on
1: like the Dbacks farm system. I I know real well, so I could just sit down here and type about. 20 guys who uh, some people would argue don't matter. Uh, whereas, like, the Red Sox, I might have trouble doing that. I still have guys, right. just not as many. Um, yeah. I just – I'm trying to be as informative as, 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 re- as is reasonable. Uh, but
0: uh, – Well, I, you know who I'm going to pick. I think you know who I'm going to pick. I think
1: – yeah, I think so too.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't I disagree I with we-
1: – I just – the reports on him weren't uh, – they weren't great. Sure.
0: That's fine. Yeah.
1: Uh okay so future value uh okay uh so future value the attempts to t- try to pack everything into one number and the the reason that the 20 to 80 scale is used is because it can line up nice with wins above replacement so it's basically it, and I think this might oversimplify it a little bit but it's almost like a mean uh annual war projection for the player at maturity uh so on the Diamondbacks list, you will see Anthony Bonda, left-handed pitcher, is number one prospect in the Diamondback system and is a 50 future value. Uh, and that terminology maybe isn't the best anyway, but future value. Uh, so that means he's a number four starter, a league average 50 starter worth about two wins above replacement annually. And because he has had success at AAA – he is a relatively low-risk prospect, and so while his ceiling is like a 50, a number four starter, uh, he is low-risk, and so his f- future value number is also a 50 because he has such low risk. Whereas a prospect like um, Melvin Adon in the giant system who is up to 100 but has 30 present control and is like 18 or 19 years old, uh, that guy is extremely risky. So while you might project him to have a 70 fastball, 50 slider, and 45 changeup with 40 control command, that is maybe a fifth, an inefficient fourth or fifth starter uh, or a high leverage reliever, I think more likely than not. That might be a, a 45 or 50 in terms of... Uh, wins above replacement value. Someone who's worth, you know, one and a half, two, two wins a year. But because he's so far from the majors, he's you have to suppress the, the future value grade, and so he'll probably be a forty future value on the list because he's his proximity to the majors and the fact that he's a pitcher who throws a hundred miles an hour. Like that's all factored in, and it's going to suck down his his future value grade a little bit. Um, so I think that it does the reasons that I'm that I've kept it and as soon as I took the job the first thing I started asking people was uh including and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this including Kylie because he brought it to the public sphere even though he didn't invent the thing somebody else in, an, in a different organization not the Braves did um, but uh, I like I asked people what they thought about it and uh you know not everyone loves it but Every system that teams use, at least that I'm aware of, and that I think uh, publications use, has some sort of flaw. Uh, And um, I like that this gives the other writers at our website a clean, concise, jumping-off point for their own analysis. Whereas, uh, the other, the other ways I've considered doing it require more explanation in, in the moment. So, uh, I do think that, that the fact that I had, we've had to have, uh, what, how long have I been talking for now? Like six, seven minutes, just about this number is a little bit troublesome. You know, it's, it it is supposed to be a simple thing. And the fact that I had to explain it to, uh, a scout from a, a very, well regarded organization like what it meant about uh in regard to my J2 rankings uh, I was told that the fact that I had to like explain in this detail what the number means probably means it's not a good thing um but I think you know if you if you say it's just a mean war projection at maturity
0: yeah I think that's great I think a I think that's great when you say mean annual war projection at maturity because I was going to ask you at what age you know what age yeah. is the future? What it, when is the future? Is the future now? Some people say the future is now. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I watch a commercial and for Apple, and they say the future is now, but that doesn't make sense for that guy in the Giants. You say Melvin Adon or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The other thing, can I say if you want to explain this to Scouts, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I provide a? Uh, sure. You know, the, my job with Fangraphs is to to work as an editor, uh-huh. right? Here's what I would say. Maybe it doesn't work. Here's what I would say, though. Say it's a combination of ceiling and risk in one number. Yeah, I like that, too. It's ceiling. You're saying I'm presenting ceiling but also counting for risk. Mm-hmm. It's all in one number. Now, if you want to bring up Anthony Banda, you say he's on the precipice of the major leagues. Right. Well, there's not a lot of risk there, but he doesn't have a very high ceiling, whereas you got uh, – yeah, Travis Demerit seems like he's got a pretty decent ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. But also some risk. I don't know. We, we've talked about Demerit already in this, so that's why I bring it up.
1: And then you know the the, the thing I brought up in in the post that I have the biggest problem with, as far as future value is concerned, is that I feel like it kind of castrates me as an evaluator a little bit sometimes because there might be a guy who's in short season ball who I love, and mm-hmm. a guy at AAA who uh, you know is is fine. And just because of the way I know I have to balance things using future value, because I'm sort of it's it's not a formula. I think someone in the the post was like, "Hey, you know, why don't you stop keeping these formulas from us? I understand that you want to make them proprietary, but like you should let us know what they are." And I'm like, no, 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 like I'm just curating this thing. Like it is just a feel. Like you have to kind of have a feel for how to do this. Um, but like there are guys, you know, in lower levels of the minor leagues that I pound the table for. uh, and I do have, you know, I have the opportunity to do that now, uh, publicly. But just because of the way future value is, I I can't do that as strongly as maybe I would have liked to. You know, like Clayton Kershaw was once in rookie ball, and uh, I would have liked to have think if I would have seen him there that I would have, that I would have said, this guy is unbelievable. Uh, put a seventy future value on him like he's a, he's a, it's a seven he's a, he's an ace it's the this is the guy this is our generation starting pitcher it's the arm of god mm-hmm. i want to put a i want to put a, a huge number on him, but because he's in short season ball with future value you kind of can't can't do
0: that um, but i think it's also somewhat reflective right of how uh, of how at least the more progressive clubs work because yeah yes. Clayton Kershaw short se- in short season ball you say the arm is fantastic mm-hmm. it's great but at the same time <clears throat> uh, what are the odds that Clayton Kershaw or if you have you know five guys who are exhibiting that sort of arm I mean what are what are the odds that all of them get to the major leagues sure right right uh, who was and- this guy there was a guy in the Cleveland system in the Cleveland system. Andrew something Andrew he was always a top prospect. and he had like multiple Dude. finger surgeries Are you talking about Adam Adam Miller Adam Miller not Andrew Miller it was yeah. Adam Miller <coughs> And he was well he was very well thought of mm-hmm. like sure. here he is he's the future mm-hmm. Well he wasn't the future because he had all no. these finger injuries Right Yeah and, and I, he ended
1: up I, I, Uh, Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, ultimately I sort of decided, and I guess if you got, if our listeners are looking for an example of this, uh, check out the Diamondbacks list on Monday. Jazz Chisholm was the guy in the the D-back system that I most wanted to do do this with. Uh, I'd gotten some reports that that were like, yeah, we think he's a utility guy. Uh, but I've seen the kid and, uh, buy the body, I buy the makeup, I buy the athleticism, everything. I think there's gonna be enough to stick it short. I think it, it, there's enough for him to hit, uh, and play there every day, even if it's only 40 game power at maturity. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like him. Uh, but, I can, I'll step, I'll put my foot on the gas where I think it's appropriate, but never to the point where it, like, looks horrendous. So, uh, Chisholm, maybe a lot of people would would put like a, a 40 fv on him it's sound just from the sounds of things uh but you know i but i i added some weight to that you know uh so that's just how I, i've just sort of accepted that i'm going to do it as i see fit and just not go overboard with it like uh i'd like to if i had total and complete freedom it's yeah. not an epicurean analysis of the prospects it's you know i don't think there could be such a thing
0: hey huh with that you have fulfilled your obligation with the program okay how's that sound
1: it sounds pretty good i gotta go see copeck yep. in 45 okay minutes. very good i'm gonna go puke from running and playing soccer
0: yeah hey listen i will first of all enjoy your brussels sprouts Second of all, okay. uh, allow, allow me to say thank you, Eric Longanagan.
1: You're welcome, Carson
0: Sestouli. That has been Eric Longanagan, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. You... Did you say it? I did. I did, did say it. I, I whispered. In. This has been Fangraphs Audio.